Right. Well, I I first brought up uh, players very familiar to you, Alan, uh, right from your era, the 1970-71 Boston Bruins, who featured the first 70-goal man in Phil Estevito, the first 150-point man, also Estevito, and the first 100-assist man, that being Bobby Orr. And they trailblazed for a, uh, a completely new class of stats were unheard of, you know, until just a couple of years before, nobody even got 100 points in this season or hit 60 goals or hit 80 assists before those guys came along. And for about 20-odd years thereafter, it was, wasn't commonplace, but uh, uh, in each case, about 13 to 16 times those three milestones were hit. Uh, and then since uh, the mid-90s, uh, since the trap came in, basically, uh, and... Uh, uh, you know, more emphasis on defensive and systems play, uh, goaltender coaching, bigger gear, all that stuff. Uh, it's, it seemed to become impossible. Uh, and for 25 to 30 years, it was n- n- those milestones were never hit until last year. Connor McDavid hit 150 points. First guy since Mario in 96. And now this year, we have two guys that up through their recent ridiculous hot streaks and the various categories are challenging for the 70 goal and 100 assist mark, uh, respectively. And, of course, that's Austin Matthews of Toronto, who's got 12 goals since the break and is now on pace for 74 goals. And the other guy is, again, McDavid, who has 23 assists in 10 games, and he's on pace for 104 assists. So both of those numbers have sort of popped up independently. And I'm thinking, geez, how rare is that? And, you know, how long has it been since the last one? In each case, very early 90s. And the conclusion was it's almost the same difficulty in terms of, you know, how often it's been done. Uh, the assist one is a little, maybe a little more exclusive in the sense only three different players have ever done it. Or did it once. Lemieux did it once. And some guy named Gretzky did 11 years in a row. <laughs> <laughs> you and know, <laughs> uh, so I have a couple of questions about that to follow up, and then we're going to move on to tonight's game. But yeah. uh, I think the big upset or the big um, the big thing for Austin Matthews is that he's been able to stay healthy. A lot of his uh, mm-hmm. scoring exploits have happened in, you know, three quarters of a season during his career. Mm-hmm. And and yeah, last I, year for sure. Yeah, he, and he I, a bad risk. I I do think that that I, I think of Taylor Hall when I'm saying this, not Austin Matthews, but staying healthy is a thing, and and Matthews well, appears to have discovered that, and that is a big deal. And you know, I, I mean, I like to see records broken, and I think Austin Matthews is a fantastic player. So I hope he too. stays healthy. But that's that's sort of the one of the key elements, right? Like he's had good scoring numbers before. Uh, and then, you know, spent a month or more, like, not being able to play, and that kind of derails him. Yeah, well, think Barrio Lemieux, if you want to take yeah. your picture, or your man Bobby Orr, how many seasons did he play that were, you know, fantastic, but not the full 80 or 78 or whatever the season length was at that time. And so it, uh, longevity or, you know, durability is, is a big part of the equation. Uh, Matthews now, after becoming the first guy in 10 years to get to 60 goals here before last, and of course last year McDavid and Pasternak did, so it's, you know, the goals are creeping up. And we're starting to see more of these sort of big, big, uh, uh, big individual numbers in seasons uh, as, you know, this 
the study supports. Uh, but it's key that, you, you know, I mean, McDavid's missed two games this year, Matthews won, and they need to stay there if they really want to take a run at these that, that these milestone uh, milestone uh, thresholds. Bruce McCurdy, our guest, Cult of Hockey at the Edmonton Journal. Uh, I've had an ongoing conversation today with a lot of Oilers fans who just don't feel like Stuart Skinner is the guy. Uh, they would like to make a trade for another goalie who's, uh, you know, I guess more experienced and has had more playoff success. My feeling has always been find a goalie and stay with that goalie, and maybe it comes mm-hmm. from, you know, my Jerry Cheever's past and my Grant Fuhrer past. But uh, mm-hmm. what what are your thoughts about Skinner and and entrusting him with another playoff run uh, as a sophomore? Yeah, well, I have a Grant Fuhrer past as well. And I can cite by memory Grant Fury's statistics from his first playoff year of uh, 1981-82, uh, in which he had a 505 goals against average and 853 save percentage. As the orders got absolutely shocked by the LA Kings in the first round of the playoffs, and there was people that wanted to give up on him at that time. And the next year he actually didn't play. Andy Moog, another very young goaltender. Uh, got the call in the 83 playoffs and took him to the finals. But by 84, Fuhr was back in the net as the first choice. And, of course, he and ultimately he and Moog together uh, led Edmonton to their first Stanley Cup. And he was still a young goalie at that time, and he quickly became known as Mr. Clutch. Mm. And how does that relate to a 505-853? It doesn't, other than he grew and developed and, 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 uh, you know, Came a little, you know, got a little uh, harder edge to his to his game, and and I wouldn't judge any young goalie, really any young player, off of their very first playoff experience. I mean, Connor McDavid had nine points in thirteen games in his first playoff run. Was he, does that mean he's a bum? I don't think it does. <laughs> <laughs> Chris McCurdy, our guest, called to hockey at the Edmonton Journal on the Lowdown with Low Tide at Sports fourteen forty. All right, Bruce, tonight. Uh, the Oilers, man, they, they had a wobble there after the All-Star break. Uh, mm-hmm. I thought the Dallas game was good. I think that last night or the other night's game was good. And, yes. and you know, some I always say that, the, the you know, the Oilers have this repeatable game in them, uh, and sometimes it goes away a little bit. I felt like they, you know, they were getting good wood on the ball, as it were, in that last game. And now I guess the mm-hmm. thing is to to be able to come out and beat St. Louis in a similar way, in a controlled way. Yeah, well, I mean, you mentioned Stu Skinner. He had a very strong game against Los Angeles, I thought. And it was a, a very important bounce-back game for him after, you know, he looked a little fake in a couple games, especially the Calgary one. And it, it, the team as a whole needed to, to turn a corner. You know, it was the fourth game of the homestand and the third period of that game before they finally got a lead in any of the games. Yeah. And once they got that 3-2 lead, boy, they just put her in shutdown mode. And I love the way the Oilers played the last, you know, once they had the 3-2 lead right through the end of the Kings game. You know, the Kings had a, a you know a bit of a shooting gallery from outside with the goalie pulled. But by then, the Oilers had, had doubled the lead and, you know, were in a pretty good situation. And that team reminded me more of the one in January than almost anyone I've seen in terms of how they maintain the lead with smart puck management, good decisions, get pucks out, get pucks deep, get off, new line change over the boards, and don't do any foolish drop passes or or cross-seam 
or, or uh, back towards your own goal passes where there wasn't, you know, a hundred percent chance you were going to make the play. And they just, they, they, they suddenly looked like that mature veteran team that knew what the hell they were doing out there, which was pleasant change for February and hopefully the beginning of a, of a uh, new direction. Uh, Bruce, I, I, I'm at, I've been waiting to ask you this question since the weekend and I, I can't wait to get your answer. Does Matthias Janmark remind you of any previous Oiler player uh, in terms of, of what he brings? And this little run that he's having, I think, really kind of brings into clear view about what he can do uh, and and why he has value to the coaching staff. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, first and foremost, he has value because he's a reliable defensive player. And on the bottom six of the Oilers, where he usually is, not quite all the time, but most of the time he's in the bottom six, they don't score much, and he's part of the reason they don't. Uh, but he's also a big part of the reason why the other guys don't score much. And if they just go out and saw off their part of the game night after night, that you know, give David and Drysaddle a breather, and you know, where they don't come back over the boards where the Oilers are two goals further behind them when they went off to the rest. You know, it's uh, that's helpful in its own right. Um, but he's a real gamer, man. He does smart things. That little kick pass he made off the boards yeah. the other night yeah. to Nuge that set up the two-on-one that was gorgeous. Didn't get much commentary because, of course, they you know they had to skate the puck three quarters of the length of the ice from there. Uh, but that play where he took the clearing pass up the wall and just punted it out right into right into the lane where Nuge just skated on it and uh, went down with Brown two-on-one. Uh, that was nice, and, you know, and he's getting his goals now. He got three goals in the last five by, uh, uh, you know, being around the net and either having pucks bounce in off him or pouncing on rebounds, or in one case, he stepped around the goalie and tucked it home. Uh, and then, of course, the other matter that caught everybody's attention was him uh, dropping the gloves and going after uh, Blake Coleman. And I'm not a huge fight fan anymore, but I have to say I like that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and I like, you know, some people say, well, what's Darnell Nurse doing? Why doesn't he just drop and get to pound the crap out of a guy 30 pounds lighter than him? And I'm thinking, no, I want a guy that's, you know, pound for pound. You you, you know, you're going to take a run at McDavid. You have to answer to our whole team. And if it happens to be T.S. Janmark, great. He comported himself very well indeed in his second career fight. Uh, I went and I looked up his record on hockeyfights.com and I watched his other fight two years ago against uh, Nick Cousins, who has since established quite a reputation as being a, uh, uh, a cheap shot artist. And I'm not sure exactly what preceded it, but I do know that Janmark laid beat down on him. <laughs> that was his first fight. You know, we're, we're, we're so uh, inured to... This long, at least the old folks among us, this long-standing reputation of uh, uh, of uh, European players, especially Swedes, is not being uh, particularly keen on that aspect of the game. They didn't grow up with it, of course. But uh, I thought Janmark, uh, uh, as I say, did did very well in the in the occasion. I, I thought it was relatively appropriate because Coleman took liberties. Yeah. And how he finished that check with McDavid. I mean, McDavid took the hit to make the play and resulted in Oilers' goal. But when uh, Coleman kind of dropped him on his head at the end of it, I was thinking, this can't do. Uh, 
Yeah. And obviously, Matthias Mark shared my feelings on that. <laughs> well, I, I love it because, uh, you know, uh, bravery and gumption don't know any borders. And I, I love it when mm-hmm. a guy like Matthias Mark. Yeah. And I, it just proves that, that the, the idea. Uh, is ridiculous and should be called out and and is by mm-hmm. by good people. Uh, so I also wanted to ask you about Evan Bouchard. A lot of pushback on Evan Bouchard the last little while about him being a more complete player. Now I like he is exploding offensively, and there's no doubt about that. And there's no doubt that he benefits from playing with wildly elite offensive players but 56 points in 56 games 15 goals 41 assists uh he's a year and a bit away from his next contract i i think that we're watching a player take at least one step maybe two in a uh, in a single year with evan bouchard and some of what i read uh where on uh, the national media is saying well he's got to be you know one of the top five defensemen in the league uh and at least considered for the norris but locally there's that sense of and i've always felt oiler fans prefer the jason smith types to the paul coffee types mm-hmm. and evan bouchard mm-hmm. is a puck mover but i think he's he's a more complete player now than he was a year ago fair uh, yeah, oh, 100% more complete than a year ago. He still has a ways to go. I mean, that that uh, play where he was burned by uh, Matthew Roy, I think it was, yep. that t- stepped around him, and he was kind of facing the wrong way, and he was not even in the proper lane and looked bad. But then you look back at that game and say, well, he, he didn't get an assist on the first goal, but he helped create it by uh, forcing the play along the wall and uh, uh, on the pinch. And then the second goal where he, just sifted a shot in from the point that Leon tipped home. And then, of course, the boost bomb that turned out to be the game winner. And at the end of the night, you're going, well, plus two, and he earned it. You know, and, and you can fixate and, uh, and wring your hands over the one play where he got burned. Or you can stay on balance. This is a guy who outscores uh, his mistakes, which you can't say that about every order, to say the least. And his coach, Paul Coffey, was much like that. He made a ton of defensive errors and, and thought of blunders. Uh, coffee, but he more, you know, you look at his at the end of the year and he'd be plus 50 and consistently. And, and he, he literally would outscore his mistakes. And you, you, you have to be prepared to say, unless the guy is, you know, sort of the perfect defenseman, right? I mean, some folks point to Chris Pronger. Well, those guys don't happen along very often, uh, certainly not on your team. Uh, Bush is, uh, I think, developing very nicely. He's still 24 years old, and he's, you know, first year of his bridge, and he's blossoming uh, into the next level, and and we're not sure if there's even another level beyond that, but uh, uh, he's a very valuable uh, player and contributor on the current Oilers. What what is your feeling about the deadline? I've asked you so many times, so I'm not going to ask you what the needs are. I'm just I I feel like you know I should be disqualified from interviewing people if I ask that again. But okay, where are you on the deadline? Is it is it just best player available, whether it be Butchnevich or Tanev or Gensel, or do you have a specific area that you'd like to see addressed? Uh, top six, uh, right wing, preferably Hall of Fame caliber. Sure. Top four defense, preferably Hall of Fame caliber. <laughs> Backup goalie who's willing to step in at a moment's notice and win the Stanley Cup. Uh, uh, extra defenseman, bottom six center who's right-handed, wins all the face-off kills penalties, and hits people. That's my list. So, <laughs> <What's yours? laughs> so 
So one or two of the above would be would be good. And of course, I'm teasing about the Hall of Fame caliber. Uh, I don't see that there's a goalie solution. I mean, you can talk all you want about Jake Allen maybe being an upgrade on uh, uh, Alvin Pickard. But seriously, folks, is Jake Allen going to win you a Stanley Cup if you wind up needing to use him? Right? You're at a certain point, you're going to have to roll your dice. Certain players don't get injured or don't have, uh, you know, go into slumps. And a key injury at any position can sink you in the playoffs. Simple as that. And you can't protect against all of them. So, but to me, like the 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 top six forward is, uh, uh, or else a real strong three C that you can bump Ryan McLeod up into the top six where he's shown well, and some kind of depth on defense because you know they got the six guys that that, that never get hurt. Yeah. Uh, but what if one of them does? You know, what if two of them do, right? You've got, you got Broberg, at least for now, and uh, then you've got a whole lot of question marks. So uh, a depth defenseman, I'd be shocked, shocked, I tell you, if Ken Holland <laughs> did not trade for a depth defenseman because he's traded for a deep. That's been his first trade for an incoming player in four out of four trade deadlines here, and he's got a long history doing the exact same thing in Detroit, you know, from Chris Chalios to Yuri Slager at the deadline, he'd always bring in some veteran D-man, and I fully expect to uh, to see that. And there's two kinds of transactions. There's the one where you just get the guy at basically minimum, or even in cer- certain specialized cases with retention, you can even get him for below minimum, and just you're shuffling deck chairs, so to speak, and maybe making a little improvement in your bottom six, bottom pairing, or, or what have you. But there's a one other one where you spend real assets, and also you have to make salary room to bring in a, a, a you know a higher end player, and the Oilers do have a little room to to uh, uh, maneuver there. They can take on two almost two point four million in cap if they made a deal right at the deadline, and of course you could trade out a million dollar player, and then you've got room for a three point four million dollar guy coming in. Uh, and again, there's retention, but the issue there is that some sometimes you hear, well, if they get a guy with term left, then we're willing to give up a first rounder or maybe Broberg or or what have you. Uh, but this guy is making six million, so we're going to need retention. Well, I've noticed one thing about retention: teams are generally happy to give it for the rest of this season. Mm-hmm. They're not at all happy about giving retention years into the future, at least any significant amount of it, because that's going to, you know, that's dead cap space for them for next year and and potentially beyond. And GMs are very reluctant to do that, and I understand why. I'm reluctant to do it myself were I a GM. Bruce, thanks for this. Appreciate it. Thank you, Alan. Have a great week. You too.